0: Reshaping America, Kirk Flewelling here. Glad you're here with us. Um, hey, man, what a surprise. We're talking impeachment. Um, very, very little. <laughs> very, very little. Nothing's really going on. Um, the Republicans uh, have their crack at it now. And uh, after a few little nail biters uh, and Mitt Romney throwing a little fit and saying some things to, to get some news. It's basically all evened out, and um, it looks like at the time of this uh, broadcast that there will be no witnesses. We don't know that, um, <clears throat> but it really kind of looks like it's not going to be. Uh, I, I don't know about you. I'm I'm sick of wherever I am. It doesn't really matter, an airport, a restaurant, or whatever. I seem to be um, – I seem to always look up and Adam Schiff is just going blah, 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 blah. It's crazy. I, nobody cares. You know, um, people that know he lies, yeah, he's a liar, whatever. And the 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 rest of us out there in, in the United States, they, they probably don't know who the heck Adam Schiff is and don't really care. Um, I do think uh, Jay Sekulow did a pretty good job. I saw – Fair amount of that, and it seems that um, the president's defense um, folks around him are doing a, a very, very um, surgical job of uh, debunking all of this nonsense. And that's what it is—is is nonsense. So, I'm I'm getting quite weary of this. Um, you know, some shows I'm a little bit more specific than others with all the details here. I'm going to give you the 100,000-foot view. Um, no witnesses. Nothing's going to come of this. Um, the one interesting thing, though, I, I think there are a fair – there There will be um, – I don't know. I've heard anywhere from two to five Democrats that might vote uh, to acquit the president, which is um, – Pretty interesting, um, pretty interesting stuff. Um, to that point they uh, they held a rally, a little local news by the way here um, in Cape May, which is uh, probably about an hour and um, hour and a half down the Jersey Shore, as they say from Philadelphia and uh, held a rally for President Trump the other night in a typical New Jersey fashion. It was steeped in controversy, um, starting with, uh, the, uh, Bridgegate, tr- excuse me, Bridge Gate 2, as they call it, uh, traffic irregularities, um, the municipality down there and their wisdom, um, decided on, uh, Martin Luther King Day to announce that they were going to shut down a, a major artery pumping into, uh, <clears throat> Cape May, which would have, um, caused a little bit of a traffic snafu for those that wanted to go to uh, President Trump's rally. Um, They they said it was a sinkhole situation that needed to be rectified. And uh, if they delayed it any longer, it would have gone into, uh, you know, uh, behind schedule, which schedule would be somewhere in July as if anybody in New Jersey ever really cares about a construction schedule. But anyway, that kind of started off the ball rolling. And I heard this morning uh, some very interesting things. You know how we always, uh, on our side, whatever that is, say that our rallies are clean and we take our trash and um, compare and contrast that to folks um, on the liberal side of the aisle that oftentimes leave – quite a mess and, and property destruction where they have their rallies. And, um, I think, uh, some people tried to make hay with that. And, uh, again, because it's a state in New Jersey, I'm not surprised. Um, it's really not a conspiracy theory. It could very well have happened, but, uh, evidently they had um, a shortage of garbage cans and toilet paper. And, um, And some are asserting that that was by design um, so that they could debunk that uh, age-old cry from Republicans that the conservatives have nice, clean rallies and we clean up after ourselves and the Democrats and the liberals do not do that. Um, And they interviewed some guy and he said, you know, we we had trash. We'd love to do something with it. We had it in our hands, but there were no receptacles to put it in, so – um, some people are crying foul there, thinking it's, it was a little conspicuous that there was a dearth of garbage cans, um, and so people had really no choice but to leave the area a little bit messier than they found it. And the uh, the great toilet paper debate was interesting. There were a lot of uh, women in particular at the porta-potties that were um, screaming because there was a lack of toilet paper. And uh Poor planning, at the least, by the uh, the officials in Cape May. But some uh, assert that that might have been uh, on purpose. Anyway, I, I think it was interesting. I saw that the mayor of Cape May, no Donald Trump fan, is threatening to um, send the Trump uh, folks and his associates uh, a bill for um, you know everything that the, the cleanup and the overtime and all that stuff in a, in a small little area. Admittedly. And uh, you know that that is that is typical short sightedness on on the part of um, of this gentleman and liberals in general. The sheer amount of dollars that this little thing generated in a small community—it's—it's it's very. If if you don't know much about Cape May, if you're outside the area, it is a very uh, very thriving little shore town in the uh, summer, but not too much is going on in the winter. And the um <clears throat> excuse me, the uh the money that was pumped into Cape May in the three days, uh the two days uh leading up to Donald Trump's visit and and then on Tuesday was quite a bit of money. And the the, the small businesses and merchants in the area were very, very pleased with the uh, influx of uh, several thousand people into a very small community. Um so uh, I think the Kate, the uh, the mayor of Cape May has a lot of chutzpah but to um, to threaten to bill Mr. Trump um, because if it wasn't for him, there, all that money would not have been pumped into the area. So we got that on a um, quite somber note, uh, but <clears throat> again, certainly very noteworthy. In Philadelphia, Kobe Bryant uh, tragically passed away over the weekend, and. Um, Uh, A lot of people don't know that from other parts of the country, Uh, he made his fame in uh, Los Angeles, obviously, and resided in Los Angeles and for a brief period of time when he was younger in Italy. But very few people knew that um, he was a Philly guy, Uh, Lower Merion High School. um, His father was uh, Joe Bryant, who played for the Sixers. And, um, you know, it's a a little bit more commonplace uh, today, but certainly quite rare, but nothing in comparison to back in the day. You could really count on a half a hand the uh, professional basketball players that leapt from the uh, high school ranks to the pros. Uh, Back in the day, there were only three for the longest of time. Moses Malone, again, a Philadelphia um, icon with the Sixers, and um, uh, Bill Willoughby, a lot of people don't know who that was. He played for the Rockets. And uh, the great Daryl Dawkins, Chocolate Thunder, uh, again, the 76ers. And um, and Kobe Bryant was from an era where that was a little bit more, um, not quite as rare as it used to be, but certainly rare. Most people, even if they're very, very good, will, will play at least one or two years of uh, collegiate ball. And he hopped right from uh, Lower Marion High School to uh, being um, – Drafted 13th overall in the in the first round and uh, started making hay very quickly with the Lakers and never really looked back. And arguably, some say the greatest basketball player ever. Um, that is arguable. Um, the the great Will Chamberlain. If if you're older, you might think he was. Um, certainly Michael Jordan certainly LeBron James but uh Kobe Bryant could definitely be in that discussion and again uh you uh it it does hammer home the point that we are not guaranteed any um anything in this world um we you know kiss your kids goodnight and um hug your wife a little tighter you don't know what is going to happen tomorrow Um, Our Lord above gives us uh, breath to breathe every minute of the day, and uh, many of us complain and whine and moan about all sorts of things, and we don't know if we're even going to be here tomorrow. And uh, certainly Kobe Bryant and his uh, 13-year-old daughter um, and the other uh, seven or eight people that died on that helicopter um, certainly did not think that they were not going to return that evening. And and be with their loved ones. And it gives us time to not only reflect how great Kobe Bryant was, um, but it gives us time to uh, take some inventory and and be much more thankful than many of us are for the little things that we have. And I know Kobe Bryant had some some, – things happen, uh, probably almost 17, uh, years ago. Um, and I'm not really going to discuss that because when somebody is, is, um, gone, I don't care where they are in the political spectrum. Um, that's really not the time to talk about, uh, some of those things. And I, I, I've always marveled at people when they're, um, political adversary or someone they just had a a feud with in the entertainment industry or in sports or whatever died, people would take that moment, that occasion to uh, grow crazy on Twitter or, or, uh, get in front of a camera and run somebody down. Um, it's, it's just bad form. It really is. So, um, Kobe Bryant, great basketball player from what I understand in the last, uh, 15, 17 years of his life, uh, pretty much got things together with he and his wife and his family. He was a good family man. And uh, the irony was, if if you don't know this, it it is out there, but I thought it was fascinating. Kobe um, started taking helicopters, and anybody who has ever done business or lived, or gone to school in Southern California understands how... Um, incredibly uh, horrible. The traffic is, you know, Philadelphia and and many other areas of the country are bad, but, uh, LA takes the cake and, um, you know, he, he is on, um, he is on record. The the video is, is kind of sobering after the fact, but he, he just got tired of sitting in traffic and he was a very regimented guy. He used to work out in the morning and, um, and uh, go to practice in the afternoon and do his endorsement thing and try to do the family thing. And, uh, I mean, there's only so many hours in the day. And he got tired of sitting in traffic and missing dance recitals and basketball games and picking up his kids after school. And, you know, he got the idea that I can, you know, maximize my time and be much more efficient if I uh, charter helicopters and, and do the helicopter thing, which... Um, Ultimately, it was quite sad that that was his uh, that was his ultimate demise. But uh, quite an altruistic reason to want to do that to spend more time with his family and get some more family time in, and um, snuffed out only three years after he retired. So he had his whole life ahead of him. But again, a very sobering reminder that none of us have any amount of guaranteed time on this earth, and we should um, we should maximize it, seize it. Um, not complain, hold our loved ones a little tighter, and um, it's just just an absolute tragedy. But um, Kobe was a local guy, uh, Lower Marion High School. For those of you that don't know, only a couple miles uh, west of Philadelphia, big big Philadelphia Eagles fan, and uh, will be sorely sorely missed. And uh, I know, going by Lower Marion High School, there were like a makeshift memorial with uh teddy bears and flowers and and just an outpouring of love from the community. So um again quite tragic but uh Kobe Bryant gone uh at the age of 41 and um very sad. So we have that um we did the Cape May thing for the local thing. The coronavirus seems to be uh panicking a lot of people and uh Heard everything from um, you know putting it in the category of Ebola to yeah, it's no big deal. I, I in, in it, it's rather tragic because a, a fair amount of people have died in China. Um, two confirmed uh, cases in the United States as we speak now could be more, but um, it, it, at the risk of being funny in in a, you know, talking about the coronavirus, I had a buddy call me up and tell me he. Um, he saw something really funny on the internet as far as uh the folks that sell corona beer one of the um, biggest beer sell um beers uh in in the globally um as far as market share is concerned had droves and droves of droves of uh people calling them and uh, asking them if there was any correlation between the beer and the virus um I would say uh, rehab is probably in order if you um, if uh, that's the level of thought that that you're putting into that um, the uh, the coronavirus that you you're that panicked that you have to call the company and see if there's any correlation. And I bet in this world, this low IQ world that we live in, I bet you they're. uh, Their sales have taken a little bit of a hit, Uh, hopefully for them. um, It doesn't take a a sustained hit. But the mere fact that they were inundated with calls um, with, uh, you know, customers thinking that there may be a correlation is a little – makes you weep for the future, I guess. Um, Another thing that I wanted to talk about, I saw on – I didn't I didn't I saw it after the fact but I heard it the reports and then I did watch it and it was really it was really terrible um and we can we'll dovetail into a little discussion about this um many of you have seen it it was uh on CNN our our um favorite anchor Don Lemon who is a big um big Trump fan only kidding here but uh you know, Don Lemon uh, had a couple of guests on, uh, Rick Wilson, um, who actually is a Republican and has worked for uh, Republicans in the past, but uh, certainly no Trump fan. And, um, and I'm definitely going to... Uh, there are chipmunks in the uh, in the studio here? I'm, I'm hearing some crazy things, Russell. Anyway, the uh, I'm I'm going to butcher this guy's name, and I apologize in advance. Um, but I'll try my best. His last name is Ali. His first name is uh, Wajahat. I'll just call him Ali because I don't want to mispronounce his name. I don't do him any disservice. But uh, they were guests on uh, Don Lemon's show, and they were saying some pretty nasty things not only about Donald Trump, but, and we've discussed this, um, many times, um, in the past, uh, it it was not only Donald Trump who, uh, many of these guys hate, but they hate the people that love Donald Trump. It's more their anger with Donald Trump is not necessarily policy driven. Um, as I've stated many times on this show, um, he is not a conservative, and he's not going to tell you he's a conservative, but he is something that they hate more than conservatism, which is he fights like they do. He doesn't back down like your traditional Republican, and he will fight you tooth and nail to the end of, of time, and they can't stand that about him. But um, another secondary reason that they do not like Donald Trump is their absolute disdain for um, Donald Trump devotees or voters, if you will. Um, Mr. Producer, if you want to throw that up, um, we can do that. Can we insert that at some point in time? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe we'll, uh, when I get the cue here, we'll, uh, for those of you who have not heard it, probably a little bit better than me describing it to you, but um, we could throw that up there. And it was just... Um, it was really it was terrible. Um, you know, I can I can set it up a little bit here, but he's uh Rick Wilson is um is saying to um Well we can are we ready? Uh yeah, we have audio of Don the Lemon here. Don, <laughs> I didn't say that, Mr. Producer. Said oh no, that's that, that's what I call him, okay. Don, the Don, lemon. Don the Lemon. Uh uh I'm kinda I'm, like Harry the Reed. I'm gonna respect um Mr. Lemon and call him Mr. Lemon, but uh, yeah, Yeah, we'll call him Mr. Lemon. Yeah, Mr. Lemon. That doesn't sound too good either. It sounds like a a A guy. It sounds sounds like a candy. A a super villain. Ah, Mr. Lemon. Mr. Lemon. Um, Yeah, (laughs) hit the audio for that, Mr. Producer, and we'll 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 let the uh, audience hear. Here we go, Mr. Lemon. His heart that Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience, uh, you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump, um, that, that wants to think that, that, that Donald Trump's a smart one and there. Oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you us you with your geography and your maps and your spelling even though my your pa- math and your reading yeah you're reading you know your geography knowing other countries sipping your latte all those lines on the map <laughs> <laughs> only them us know where ukraine is <laughs> sorry i apologize is but by But you know what? But, but it was Rick's fault. I blame Rick. Oh but, you know, but 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 all honesty, but all, blame you know what? NPR Rick. should do. Not? <laughs> Sorry. Hold on. Wait. Wait. Can I Yo, tell give you me what? a second? You hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Sorry. <laughs> that was good. Sorry, Rick. You, you, that was a good one. I needed that. Now this happened on Don Lemon's show. To be fair to him, uh, he was just the one cracking up in the background. The other two guys were making fun of. Of Trump people, I guess. Wow. But uh Mr. Producer being kind to Mr. Lemon. Um <laughs> I guess they can't call him Mr. I'm gonna Lemon. crack up anytime you call him Mr. Yeah, Lemon. Don. Don Lemon. Um anyway, <laughs> you know, um, hey, can I be really honest with you? I I thought that was pretty funny. I didn't I wasn't offended by it because um for a lot of reasons, but I, I can tell you um very clearly it is it is it was bizarre to see on national television on a major cable outlet, even though um, only about 117 people watch it per night. It's still... Um, it's, You're very kind. Yeah, I know. It, it's still a, a major news outlet. And Don Lemon, regardless of what you think of him, you know, he he, he went to college. He has a suit on. Um, he knows where Ukraine is. You know, he he probably could have comported himself in a manner... That was a little, um, a little bit more professional. Um, the, the the troubling thing about that was is, folks on the right and folks on the left say a lot of things, at cocktail parties or behind closed doors or in war rooms, if you will, and and that's all fine. Um, but it, and and you know before when these things that we all knew kind of bled out. It was because somebody taped somebody, um, the famous, uh, uh, the indictment of Pennsylvania voters clinging to their Bible and their guns. Obama did that at a uh, a get together in San Francisco and that got leaked out. So we all kind of know that this is how folks on the left feel about folks on the right and affectionately refer to them as people in flyover country. But- this is this is actually more disturbing because um it's done publicly on a on a major news uh broadcast for everyone to see. Now again, not that many people are watching CNN, but in this day and age of technology where um there is uh you know this is gone viral and it it's on YouTube and everybody is uh you know clicking on it and has seen it. It's really troubling that the guy just could not comport himself in a professional manner. Now, if his two guests want to go off a little bit, um, that's their business. That's that's their um, <clears throat> the the tanking of their career or the enhancement of their career, uh, whatever their shtick may be. But as a presumed, I'm using quotes here on the radio, as a presumed um, objective. Uh, analyst don lemon really shouldn't have gone crazy laughing at that little tirade um you know uh albeit was it was somewhat funny to me anyway um but i tell you what was actually predictable and 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 equally disturbing is there was a backlash um about this and cnn was called on the carpet again, and uh, Mr. Lemon said he, this was this was his excuse, he said, I got caught up in laughing at a joke and didn't really catch everything that was said after that. And, you know, initially, I'm watching the video here when Mr. Producer put it up on the screen, and um, initially I was going to give him the benefit of the doubt and, and and say that there was some degree of truth to that. But then I watched it, and he did regain some degree of composure, and then joke number two, three, four, six um, kind of uh, rolled out very quickly, and he is very clearly seen laughing at each and every joke that's kind of building. These guys really can't help themselves, and they're, they're just rolling with the insults. And he is clearly parking on each one of them and, and digesting it and laughing. And and he was laughing uncontrollably, but he's not in a position or he does not have the luxury to be out of control. He, by the nature of what he does and how much money he makes, he should be in some, some degree of control. Um, and he clearly wasn't. So there was fallout from that, um, and uh, you know, it, it's it's. I've stated this many times before. Um, people are just not listening to one another because they absolutely hate each other's guts. The contempt that the um, the Northeast crowd, or the Southern California crowd, or the Chicago crowd has for those of you individuals in Flyover Country is is um, is very real. It it, it runs very deep. And it is, it is something that was on display, and it was very disturbing to watch it. Uh, again, you know, folks on the left, they want to all get together uh, at their parties and speak this way. Or folks on the right, if they want to get together and, and, um, and put forth uh, opinions about how people on the left look and act or whatever. I'm not endorsing it, but it it does seem to make some degree of sense if it's if it's done b- behind closed doors. But this certainly was not, and um, you know, most reports I've seen say that Don Lemon did you know Donald Trump the biggest favor he could possibly give him, and uh, the RNC very quick to jump on it um, actually has has made a commercial out of it. Almost instantaneous instantaneously where they they released an ad that has this footage in it and it also the ad starts out with um, Hillary Clinton uh, calling Trump voters or devotees uh, deplorables and we we know how much fallout there was from that so it starts with Hillary and then now some more um, footage has been added to that. And those are really priceless uh, campaign um, ads to have. Um, I'm not so sure of where you would run them because people um, that would be uh, hepped up or or excited or, uh, you know, inclined to use that and want to run out and vote for Donald Trump are going to vote for Donald Trump anyway. So... I don't know. It it, it may you know. There, there's always about ten percent, and I'm not going to say they're in the middle ideologically, but they are. They're a ten percent voting base, or maybe it's ten to fifteen, that are Democrat and Republican. They're reasonably thoughtful. They're not crazy. They're kind of uh, center to the left of center or center to the right, and um, they're not big Donald Trump fans, and perhaps. A commercial like this could could sway them, um, uh, you know, make them feel a little sympathetic toward Donald Trump, or at least perhaps um, turn them off to the party or the people that prop up the party that would say things like this. So it may be effective. Um, I, I know it, it, it seems at first blush it would be really brilliant. Um, I think it would have to be used in the right area of the country and in in the right way, but um, the RNC has jumped on it very quickly, and um, it does underscore the contempt that many of us know that um, folks on the left seem to have for people in flyover country. And the and the term flyover country is derogatory anyway, and that was that was coined probably about twenty years ago by elitists that really feel that, you know, there's not much going on cultural wasteland that it is in the plains and all of these areas. So they've termed it, uh, fly country. And, um, the folks in these areas of our country are the backbone of our country. And they believe in the things that, uh, we as faith-based voters really hold near and dear. And, um, thank God for those people. Um, so we have that, and uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break. On the other side of the break, I'm going to get to um, just kind of dovetail off this a little bit about how much anger there really is out there, and um, and is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, this is Reshaping America. We will be right back. We are back here in Reshaping America. Kurt Flewelling, we're talking about the... Um, Yeah, I did want to talk about anger a little bit here, uh, but uh, before I get to anger, although the Iowa caucus, caucuses, carcass, um, I'm I'm never really good at English. Um, (laughs) Good thing on a resume for a talk show host, I ain't really good at English. But um maybe the Iowa caucuses um will make you anger angry but we will talk about anger cuz I'm seeing a lot of it out there but the uh I did want to mention we have um only a few days left until the uh caucus in Iowa which is February the 3rd format's a little bit different than it normally is but the um the interesting thing from a uh from a um uh you know Persp- uh, pundit's perspective is the fact that it is, uh, it's caucuses. Thank you. Yeah. Very little there. I appreciate it. The people uh, has spoken. Yes. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, it, caucuses it is. Um, the, the top four individuals, Sanders, Biden, Warren and Buttigieg are all very, very close. Uh, usually Iowa has, um, uh, a couple um, that are in the running, and sometimes three, but this is really four of these candidates are very, very close. Um, Sanders, from what I'm uh, reading here, at least the latest polls, is at 25%. Buttigieg, a mere mayor of a um, of a intermediate city in the Midwest, 18%. Joe Biden. 17% still hanging around Elizabeth Warren, 15%. And from some of the things I'm reading, Klobuchar, even though she is at 8%, is kind of the um, the um, the dark horse here. Um, some, some pundits think that she may make a splash and get up into the top three. And as we know, um, well, we probably don't know because time flies, but if you're over 50 years old, you remember when Bill Clinton... Was uh, deemed the comeback kid with a third place finish in New Hampshire. Only Bill Clinton could have the chutzpah of finishing third and um, declaring that that he was back and on the scene, and he was. So sometimes, uh, particularly in these uh, first two tests of the early primary season, uh, if you're third place, um, if you're projected to be in first place in your third place, that ain't good. But if you're somebody like Amy Klobuchar, who is right now in fifth place at 8%, and some funky things happen in Iowa, and you tick that up to 15% and get third, that that gives you, as they say, the big mo, momentum going into New Hampshire. And conversely, if you're somebody like Joe Biden, who, um, from everything I'm hearing and reading, if he is second that would be no surprise. And if he's fifth, that would be no surprise. And he could slide up and down that scale very, very easily based on a lot of things that isn't good. Um, if you're third in Iowa and you're Joe Biden and you really should be first and at the least second, that is not a good third place finish. But if you're Amy Klobuchar or even Pete Buttigieg, who is literally an unknown on the national scene, um, that would be tremendous if Pete Buttigieg could be second or third in Iowa. So um, as as most would say, though, the big problem <clears throat> for Democrats in general is um, is if Bernie Sanders wins this thing and then lo and behold wins again in New Hampshire. And he could very well win in New Hampshire being next to the great state of Vermont where he is from, Um he could definitely go into South Carolina with a little bit of momentum. Now, South Carolina, he has a colossal problem on a whole host of fronts. However, if you don't think it makes the Democrats a little bit nervous, if they're not overly nervous already, having the prospect of facing Donald Trump in the fall, um, they don't want, they're they're not really too excited about any of these guys and gals, I should say. Um, But, Bernie Sanders is not someone um, that they want winning this um, process. It just is not. They have not changed a heck of a lot in four years. When Bernie Sanders got jobbed by um, the Democrat machine and the whole super delegate thing, and he he would win states, but he really wouldn't win them, and um, the contempt that the Bernie uh, devotees had for Clinton and 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 her followers was nothing short of, of dramatic. However, it really didn't translate. I, I think a lot of those folks did indeed hold their nose and show up and vote for Hillary Clinton. And that's what Democrats do, even radical Democrats. Um, they're not like Republicans. They don't do protest votes. They don't stay home. They don't write people in. They, um... They may cry and boo-hoo for a while, but at the end of the day, the whip gets cracked and they know how to uh, to do the collective thing and hold their nose and vote for whomever because any Democrat's better than a Republican, right? But um, I don't know. Is that going to happen again? If 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 Bernie Sanders starts getting ripped off in one way or another – and it's, uh, it's apparent that in one way or another, the fix is in, uh, and they'd like Elizabeth Warren or Buttigieg or Biden or, you know, maybe um, maybe his fans, his devotees, uh, his followers, if you will, will definitely just sit this one out, and it will be a, a landslide win for Donald Trump. But I, I think if I'm Donald Trump or a Donald Trump supporter, I'm... Um, I'm licking my chops if Bernie Sanders is the person that I have to, um, debate because that one, uh, I I don't, I don't see how, um, I don't see Bernie faring very well. Uh, I could be wrong. Um, but, uh, Donald Trump is a good debater and he could really do well against any of these five. The one that interests me the most is, um, is Klobuchar. And I, I, I'll tell you why. There is a contingent of Democrat voters out there that are not crazy. They're not um, burn the whole thing down, AOC-type Democrats. They may be a throwback from your father or grandfather's Democrat Party, where Democrats in those years, 30, 40, 50 years ago, were actually probably more to the right on the ideological continuum than a lot of Republicans are today. And and there's still folks in, in, that vote, uh, they may be older, they may be between 60 and 80 years old, but there's still a fair amount of them in the Democrat Party. And um, by, by programming, they're not too excited about voting for Republicans. And if they could get a, a Democrat alternative that's not, quote unquote, too far to the left or too radical, if you will, I think Amy Klobuchar could do um, do some damage. I, I really do, because if you look at her in the debates, she challenges um, some of the other um, folks on stage, and she doesn't sound like she's radical. She really sounds very reasoned and professional, and um, even though she is quite far to the left in comparison to Donald Trump, um, she she will. Seed the point that many of these chicken in every pot programs that Sanders or Warren are are uh, forwarding or Buttigieg are are just not realistic. They can't happen with a with a um, with a debt that we have in this country. They just can't happen. They they we would run the the debt up to just unfathomable levels usually not really <clears throat> bothering Democrats all that much, but I, I, I do feel that there is a fair amount of Democrats out there that Amy Klobuchar would appeal to. But again, y- you have to make it out of the first two to four primaries in this process to um, to get some traction. And if she comes in fifth and then she comes in fifth again and then in South Carolina comes in fifth, that ain't good. But if she makes some hay in Iowa and that momentum carries into New Hampshire, now South Carolina lines up a heck of a lot better for her than um, some of these other states do. Uh, and uh, as I said before, Bernie Sanders has a little bit of a problem in South Carolina. And Joe Biden, um, if he can make it to South Carolina with, with some degree of momentum, he, he sets up very well. In the state of South Carolina, so it remains to be seen. Um, politics is uh, five minutes is an eternity. Any of these people could um, could do something remarkable, either to the positive or negative, to to either discount them or catapult them into a better standing. So it remains to be seen. But in a few days, the good folks of Iowa will, will have spoken. And we will see what happens. Another one that will be interesting to see uh, is um, is Joe Biden. Um, you know, he, I don't know, as many of you know, this is probably his third or fourth time um, running for president, and he has never gotten any traction at all. Now riding the coattails, presumably, of Barack Obama or his cachet as a VP he may get a little further into the process, but um, his days might be numbered as well. So it's all going to be very interesting to um, to take a look at. So on to uh, how angry everybody is. You know, uh, again, it, it's, it, it, I'm, I'm talking right now to the born-again believer or the faith-based voter. You know, um, some people are are angry all the time and they, they uh, refer to... Jesus kicking over the tables of the money changers in the temple and Jesus admonishing the Pharisees quite a bit in a, in a pretty terse manner. And they they seem to cite those instances when Jesus is, is angry and as an excuse to kind of be angry most of the time. Now, if, if you look at the totality of Jesus Christ's ministry, the vast majority of the time, Jesus Christ got his point across in a very loving manner. Uh, He did not compromise the law at all. He was a lover of the law, a hater of sin, but came at this thing in a a much different approach than the the Pharisees would at the time. And it was an approach led by love. And that kind of was at the cornerstone of Jesus Christ's ministry. And the times he was righteously indignant were very few and far between in comparison to the times he was loving, compassionate, and patient. And is that extraordinarily challenging for you and I as faith-based voters when we see the display that was... uh, put forth on CNN the other night when people are being made fun of uh, their IQ their their cultural cluelessness where they live how they dress how they act what their names are is that enough to make you angry of course it is and should we be righteously indignant of course we should but I'm telling you when you're angry 24/7 it ain't good it ain't good for your health it isn't good for your walk it isn't good for forwarding um, any type of Christ-filled message or forwarding any ideological agenda or trying to persuade your coworker to vote for someone that may not be a Democrat or whatever, or may not even be a Republican. They may be a Democrat, who knows? But if you're trying to do that and you're angry all the time, it's not good. And the folks on the left are, are righteously indignant, so they say, about this injustice and that injustice. And that may be all well and good uh, some portions of the time. But to be perpetually angry all the time and to get up in the morning and, and look at this thing as a game, how are we going to cut the head off um, the next conservative and destroy the next person's life? like they've done with Kavanaugh like they've done with Donald Trump like they've done with um uh General Flynn and just with absolutely no regard to the truth the um the character of someone the fact that they have a wife and children and it it's all quite irrelevant because it's fueled by rage you know that's not good that is just not good so <clears throat> excuse me we're going to have to find a way to be righteously indignant when it's appropriate, and be creative, and pick and choose our battles, and let Jesus do the fighting for us. Exodus fourteen fourteen, and um, and find a way to get this thing done without being so hostile and angry. Because if you have, you know, forty five uh, percent of the populace that's angry and and um thinks liberals are this this and this and then you have another 40% of liberals that thinks conservatives are this this and this and they're not budging and they just hate your guts just because you got an r or a d next to your name that doesn't leave a lot of people in the middle of that anywhere from 10 to 20% that are even swayable to a reasonable argument and that, and that doesn't you know i i personally even though i'm not a republican tend to think that the truth uh, lies on the, the right side of the aisle much more than it does on the left. But that doesn't mean that the left is is just aimlessly adrift and they don't have any good ideas. I mean, I've, I've learned things from uh, God rest his soul, uh, Alan Combs, who used to be the Hannity and Combs, uh, uh, Sean Hannity's counterpart. And it's simply because I listened and, uh, I, he said some things and I researched it and you said, you know, he's right. He's not just drinking the Kool-Aid and supporting, um, a party or a person just because of, um, that person has to be, or happens to be a cult of personality or that party happens to feel that they have the market cornered on the truth. So it's always good to have an open mind. And, um, I think God does give us some room to be righteously indignant However, we we cannot conduct ourselves that way in perpetuity. We we just can't because nobody's going to listen to anybody, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna be ultra. You know, it's 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 just not gonna work. Nobody's gonna have it. I I have plenty of people in my life now that I um, sadly cannot have a discussion with about anything, and it's because and and i you know i'm i'm a lot different than i was 10 or 15 years ago 10 or 15 years ago i was probably like a lot of you i'll talk politics at a basketball game i'll talk politics around the cooler at work i'll talk politics uh, at a cocktail party i don't care you know let, let it let it happen man and um i find when i get in these discussions these heated discussions even if i might be right on an issue I don't feel real good after the, uh, the discussion because the, the person on the other side hates my guts and they're saying things and they're saying things that aren't true. And I'm feeling frustrated that I can't, you know, refute them in in a way that would be honoring to God. And, and it it all, you know, it, it doesn't work out that well, more times than I'd like to admit. And that's not cool. We, we, we can't be that way. And um, as I said before, there there are plenty of people in my life that I can't talk to because we just can't go there, and it's really sad. There are people that are very close to me, and, and we got to talk about the weather. We got to talk about sports, which is more political every single day, because we're just going to get too angry, and and they get that glazed look in their eye. Like, you're one of them, and then I, if I'm not careful, I'll get a glazed look in my eye and go, "Yeah, you're one of them." And then we're hop, skip, and a jump away from being like those guys on CNN the other night that were making fun of the flyover country guys. And the guys in, in, in the middle of the country, Those their words, not mine, and the guys in the middle of the country are making fun of people from San Francisco or Chicago or LA or Boston or um, the main line in Philadelphia and 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 they're jumping to conclusions and nobody's listening to anybody and it, it's a real it's a real mess and we, we you have to be the change and if it if it's only you doing it then it's a start and then maybe somebody else will do it and we will will we'll start to ask god how do we engage people in a forthright way not compromising the truth but in a loving Christ-like way that will attract rather than repel and if we can pull that off, no small uh, task, then then the discussion will at least start. So I'm going to uh, hit one more break here. This is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. We will be right back. We are back for the last brief segment of Reshaping America, Kurt Flewelling. And as usual, I'm starting a story that I'll never be able to finish in the last five minutes of the show. I don't know why I do this. I just can't find these cool stories. Maybe uh, show prep would be something that'd be nice, Kurt. Um, Anyway, I'm going to try to do this pretty quick, and maybe we'll pick it up next show. Um, This is in our favorite newspaper, the New York Times. Celebrating the Chiefs, but but troubling others. It says, with Kansas City finally back in the Super Bowl, the tomahawk chop is proving problematic. And the article starts with, um, it says, the night was winding down at um, the Rieger, an upscale casual restaurant in Kansas City, and a couple of Denver Broncos fans in town for a game last month were standing at the bar engaging in some friendly ribbing with supporters of the hometown Chiefs. Mm -hmm. At some point... The Broncos fans walked through the dining room, and that was when the Chiefs fan responded with a gesture synonymous with the team's red jersey, the Tomahawk Chop. He sliced his hand through the air in a chopping motion while bellowing uh, a rhythmic chant. Slowly but surely, most of the 50 or so diners dropped their silverware, (laughs) turned toward the rivals, and joined in, chopping the air in unison I can't relate to this being an Eagles fan. Like if this happened in uh in Philly, I, I think never mind. I'm not going there. Um, slowly but surely, I read that. Okay. Um, the city's beloved football team has left an unmistakable imprint on the local culture. Blah, blah, blah. Um, it says, but perhaps the most indelible symbol of Chiefs' fandom is one that unifies believers and divides others. And um, if you are fans of um, teams with Indian mascots or Indian names in the past, you know that this is not a um, new controversy. Just uh, talking with a buddy of mine up in New York, a uh, big St. John's fan. They used to be called the Redmen. Now they are the Red Storm. That was years ago. Um, a change that I feel is quite appropriate, and, and we probably do need a big, bigger, longer segment to uh, to flesh this out, because um, although I am quite conservative on the mascot issue, I tend to take it on a case-by-case basis, and um, I, I deviate wildly sometimes from some um, of my colleagues on the Christian right, um, or excuse me, the right in general, that don't have a problem with just about any mascot or symbol like this chop. And um, not saying that I do in this instance, but there are definitely occasions where I think mascots and names of teams are, are highly offensive. Um, but there are folks on the other side of the aisle that think just about every team name is offensive to somebody, and you could find offense in it. So um, you will see a lot of chopping um, this weekend, and it says um, that's going to be offensive. To many fans, it it says the chop and its accompanying chant, a pantomimed tomahawk motion and made-up war cry, also employed by fans of the Braves. I remember years ago, um, our one of our favorite um, activists, Jane Fonda, uh, came up with a uh, a way to do the tomahawk chop with their hand, kind of open. It looked rather ridiculous, but um, they did that. Um, and the Florida State Seminoles and uh, England's Exeter Chiefs rugby team are a way to show solidarity with their team and to imitate or intimidate the opposition. But to many Native Americans locally and afar and others, the act is disrespectful gesture and perpetuates negative stereotypes of the nation's first people and embarrasses a city that fancies itself as a hub of culture and innovation In the Midwest, so um, we're not gonna really go too much further on this because we are winding down. But I will say that um, it is interesting how many of these bands sometimes they get legs, and they get legs when the people that are offended uh, tend to be in greater numbers, and when the uh, group that could be offended is in smaller numbers and don't have as many advocates sometimes the um the nat the mascots the gestures and the names of teams continue um, but um it it is something that has uh kind of uh been brewing for years and it still is and and some teams that were called the Indians or the Warriors or or this or that or the other have abandoned those names and other teams have doggedly um from high school to college to pro ranks have uh have hung on to uh those things. So it, it's something that uh is still um hotly debated and uh there are people that um are offended by it and there are people that are saying, What's the big deal? And I, I think I can kind of wrap it up by saying you know, if um, if we're not listening to one another, we could summarily say that, hey, any nickname somebody wants to put on uh, their team is fine. Or we could, if we're not listening to the other side, say, you know, any nick or just about any nickname we could find a problem with of of, of some group that's offended. So I think we have to listen. I think we have to use common sense. These are things in short order these days, but um we have faith that um, one one citizen at a time, we will uh, we will try to get this thing right. Uh, this is Kurt Flewelling, reshaping America. You have a great day.